WNHH. I'm your host, Paul Bass, inviting you to look behind the headlines on the stories of Make New Haven tick after 2018. We're looking forward to a great year. We're starting off with someone who's paid to tell us that all sorts of great things will be happening in our city. He's Matthew Nemerson, Economic Development Administrator for the City of New Haven. Matthew has spent 35 years working full-time at building up New Haven's economy. He's here today to tell us how that's going to happen this year. Welcome, Matthew. Thanks for coming on. I'm going to ask you to get real, real close to the mic, like you're almost touching it. And um, a special thanks to Yellow Haven Hospital for providing support for today's program. And if you're watching on Facebook Live, that's Matthew drinking from a Liberal Tears mug. What does the rest of it say? Liberal Tears, courtesy of President Donald J. Trump. All right. I guess that comes from Harry Drose, our station manager and our resident uh, Donald Trump devotee. So, so Matthew, what's big coming up in 2018? What's going what's gonna to be the big uh, projects that we're going to see happen in New Haven and progress we're going to see? There is going to be a lot. But I, and again, I'll ask you to get so close. Yeah. To that, you, you know, I think there are a couple of things that are going to be happening. One is a number of projects that we've been working on for, for years will all start popping out of the ground this spring. But I, I want to keep going back to something, and I think the mayor made a, a, a very compelling uh, speech yesterday for her inaugural, uh, talking about, um, you know, there's, sort of the, there's a spiritual quality now uh, in terms of running cities. And just the level of responsibility that I think we all feel uh, in terms of dealing with some of the problems that society just isn't addressing in other geographies or in other ways. Right. Whether you're talking about immigration or you're talking about raising money to basic human needs, social services. Uh, jobs, education, uh, health. Yeah. Um, you know, all across the country, uh, some places, not every place, are, are trying to get their, their arms around this whole issue of uh the relative cost of housing uh, and uh, the increase in homelessness. And, um, you know, obviously with a lot of the safety net sort of, sort of in play right now, I think that um, in a funny way, cities are, are the place, not funny way, but, but the truth is that cities are, are places where all these issues sort of come to the forefront. And I think people like Tony Harp, uh, like Mayor Harp, um, are, are the ones who, not only feel the burden, but really have the burden of trying to address these issues. So um, and I also think that just the nature of um, how we're organized, that we're going to have to, I'm going to have to, our department's going to have to deal with uh, issues of uh, affordability. We're going to have to deal with issues of access to housing. Right, where where poor people, just even working families more than anything, going to be able to live in the city as cities change and as we build our tax base. You know, every article about New Haven that comes out, Paul, um, always, uh, there was an article this weekend in Politico about I saw Yale that about Haven, Haven Hospital. Hospital. That was a great article, didn't you think? It was a very about well. how they've tried to improve their, I recommend to everybody, it's linked at the homepage of the Independent today, where they talked about how, actually I wrote that original story at New Haven Advocate about how they were really going after people who couldn't pay their bills in a way that was extreme, and it became a national scandal because there was free care, and they have a, a um, responsibility to be part of the community in return for their tax breaks. They've done a lot since then to improve their community relations. But the article is saying they haven't done enough, but they've made a lot of progress. What did you think? What, were you, what would you take from that? Well, I thought they were just very good reporting. They, yeah. They, they talked to... Uh, a lot of people. A lot of people at the clinic level. Suzanne and, Lagarde. Yep, yeah. yep. You know, you don't usually see, um, even locally, uh, let's be honest, if it were in the current or the register, you wouldn't see that level of reporting 
going on about a local institution. So I, it's always great to see good reporting, whatever it is. Um, and, and that story, I, you know, I think sometimes gets is misunderstood. And I'm not even going to really go into the whole history of all that. But but the one thing that caught my eye, uh, which always catches my eye whenever they talk about New Haven, is the the let's say the contradiction between the New Haven that's Yale, that's uh, that's the hospital, that's the sort of global uh, research and, uh, you know, just people coming from all around the world to do very uh, impressive, complicated things. And then there was this one paragraph and it said, and as you walk from Yale to the hospital, you pass the homeless on the green. That is crazy. They don't say you pass Crown Street where there are five upscale housing developments occurring simultaneously. Right. I mean, that's incredible. And you don't pass Randy Salvador's building you just sold. You don't pass 360 State. You don't right. pass all the renovation on College Street. Yeah. So, but my point is that that the the press and and I think the public um, has a hard time dealing with this contradiction that cities have, which are we are the place where knowledge is being created, where the places where people uh, obviously a lot of young people are going to have a great time, uh, where there's a lot of money being spent, and yet because of just the, the geography of poverty, but we're also the place where the homeless are going to be, where the people, where there are going to be more drug deals going on. And where we have, where, what is it, 27% of um, uh, poverty rate or something? I mean, we have a lot of subsidized housing in this Oh, absolutely. This I mean, we are doing more than any place in the state. Right, I mean, so the other- question becomes, how do you, as the city grows, and this is your job, Matthew Nemerson, you've been shepherding some pretty successful deals like the one in the Hill with Randy Salvatore and a lot that lay fallow since 1988 when they first tried to build on it. You yeah. found a way to get some guy to build hundreds of apartments, market rate and new offices. Then you got in there, I believe, a 30% affordable housing in there. You have this juggling act where the city is saying to you, Matthew, we want to build our tax base so we don't have to raise taxes, but we can still have services. So that means you got to get people to build up the tax base. But at the same time, they're also telling you we don't want the new New Haven that builds up its tax base to push out people who aren't wealthy. Exactly, and and we're hearing that uh, you know very very clearly uh, from the board of alders, uh, where there are there are a lot of voices for um, for people uh, who can't afford the market rate housing. Um, I, I think that all across the country there are issues about uh, just what the impact of having more market rate housing is on cities. Now, those of us who are in the business always remind people that throughout history, that the, the new housing that was built in any city, uh, going back thousands of years, has always been usually at the top end of the market, and that sort of creates a whole change uh, at the lower end because there's more housing, and more housing usually makes things more affordable. Um, at the same time, what, what you're really hearing from people is they're very, very concerned about the loss of, of affordable housing uh, just in terms of the money that's available at the state and at the federal level. Obviously, if you listen to things that are happening at HUD or whatever, uh, while there has been a delay in, in sort of any sort of impact from the new administration, one has to be worried about it coming down the road. And, and so the issue is, is housing going to be made available in places like New Haven by moving people up a notch and then the lower end of the housing becomes available, that's not very appealing. Um, that, that doesn't sort of psychologically sort of sound fair. People want to have new housing 
that's also affordable housing, just as there's new housing. But you are doing that's market that. rate You're housing, doing and we are definitely doing that. On these projects, I guess one question. And, and so let me say that so is Karen DuBois Walton, who's running right, our housing, housing authority, authority, right? And and you have Farnham Court, which is sort of totally being rebuilt, and there are things being up. Being, and even being built. Uh, we, we're talking about the three hundred, I guess it's eighty-five market rate apartments that are going up on a part of Science Park on Munster Street, right across the street from that. One block over, you're going to be building hundreds of public housing senior apartments. Mm-hmm. And right in between at the old Cardinals Cafe block, you built workforce housing. Mm-hmm. So I think except for the Duncan Hotel where you had, a, you had maybe 30 or 40 people who were living in SROs that won't be there in grandfathered conditions that actually would never survive the fire. Except for that, we're not seeing what happened in Brooklyn and other places where they actually kick poor people or working class people out of their houses to have the same building house wealthier renters. We're not seeing that. We're not seeing that at all. In fact, there still is in Connecticut, I think a concentration of poverty um, and just the places where poor people can live is still more in, in just a few census tracts in a few cities. So I think the responsibility uh, just falls very, very heavily uh, on the mayor and all of so us. So one place that I think most that. people believe was a success in how to navigate that line it has been the ninth square. It was built, you and I were around then in the 80s and had debates about how to build that. They decided they wanted at least 20 or 30% of it. They built a whole new neighborhood in the ninth square. That's the south, east part of, off the green that uh, had been largely abandoned. And there was a lot of historic rehab. And first came the apartments, then came the elegant pheasant, the uh, restaurants that came right. in under it and the stores. And yet in some places, even up, I believe up to 40% of those buildings ended up being subsidized, living in the same building as people who have plenty of money. But now the uh, project has gone through a cycle, I guess, 30 years, and now they're broke. So they're looking, people are competing to buy that project. Will, when, when a new buyer comes into the ninth square, will it continue to have as much subsidized housing, or will you not have the ability to dictate that to whoever? What, what is it when they're buying? Is someone buying the debt, or how does it work? Yeah, that's a, it's, it's a great story. Um, so let's, let's go back all the way to... Uh, to 1990 when the project is sort of going into its final phases that actually was finished in 93, 94. But you have to go all the way back to the 80s because, Paul, back then when people were thinking about revitalizing cities in the 80s, they were thinking about using historic tax credits and they were thinking about using other kinds of financing mechanisms because people were not clear about uh, investing that kind of uh, hundreds of millions of dollars into cities. And what happened was Uh, between the beginning of the 80s when you were still operating under a lot of the Jimmy Carter rules and the end of the 80s when we were operating under the Ronald Reagan rules, um, Ronald Reagan actually made it possible not to make so much money rehabbing older buildings. They cut back on the historic tax credits, but they put a lot of money uh, into affordable housing. And so what happened was... And actually, you, we got an Urban Development Action Grant for the Nice Square, which I believe was one of the biggest ever at that time. Um, well, there were, it, it was about, to do that. about $9 million for affordable housing. But here is the thing. Um, the, the whole nature of that project was supposed to be sort of very boutique-y, she-she kind of upscale housing. Right, the drawing had an imagined restaurant called the Elegant Pheasant. And there were all these guys, remember, uh, there was a whole team of guys from Texas who were going to turn it into a real boutique area. Okay. Anyway, um, as the financing all changed and McCormick Barron came in, they changed the whole project into affordable housing because that's where the The tax credits were. And they really weren't that familiar with it. 
the related company wasn't. McCormick Barron wasn't that. Well, they're familiar. from St. Louis, and they'd done similar kind of work there, right? They'd done some. The mixed they, income. No one had ever done this level. Oh. Because actually, 55% of the housing is affordable. And then even of the other 30, uh, 45%, a lot of that ended up being affordable as well. Wow. So it's actually a spectacular project in that now, it is. Now, am I naive? I, people tell me if you live in the building, you know which floors are subsidized and which are not. When I look at that building, especially at South Orange and Crown, I can't tell who's who going in. Yeah, I, I don't think you're being naive at all. I think that that is an example of a neighborhood where, where the majority of the people are in affordable housing. Yeah. And I don't think anybody... Uh, in New Haven or coming in from the suburbs or eating at any of the restaurants there has ever sort of felt that they were in a low-income neighborhood. I mean, I think it actually seems... Of course not. That's like the most people would love to be in there. Exactly. <laughs> so so I think that's an example of how you can have mixed-income uh, neighborhoods. Um, but as you said, the, the, the problem is that it's um, it's hard to maintain all of that. It's hard to maintain... Uh, the maintenance that we need with the rents that are being paid. It's hard to sort of um, sort of imagine what the next 20 years is going to be like. So what the mayor has been very clear about is that whoever buys that uh, has got to maintain the 55% affordability. Mm. Um, and so that's been one of the real uh, conversation points as people are now, uh, there's an auction really going on where they're... I, well, what I, is being auctioned? Ownership of the buildings? Yes. And is that by McCormick Barron because they can't meet their debt payments? No, they've, they, they just don't want to be there anymore. Um, I thought there was that they owed money. They couldn't pay. There, was no, there were no debts that are at stake that the new owner is going to have to assume. So here's what's happened with that is that um, there is deferred maintenance and they have not been willing to raise the money to put in for uh, – Putting in new kitchens, putting How much in new bathrooms is needed. Uh, probably around fifteen, twenty million. So it's real money. And there were issues uh, at times in terms of there are two different funding sources. One was for the the market rate housing, and one was for the subsidized. And what housing. was Connecticut Housing Finance Authority? And one was Yale. Um, no, they were both Connecticut. Fine. Uh, I mean, there were there were other funders at, at one point, but now they're all. It's all Chaffa. Um, Yale did put a, a ten million dollars in, but Chaffa ended up buying them out. So it's so all. So how much is owed to Chaffa? It's, it's all Chaffa. You know, there 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 are a lot of different numbers that are floating around, but more or less, it's about fifty million dollars. So whoever buys it is going to have. And what is that? What is that form of that debt? What is that? Is that a mortgage? So it's, it's it's in a it's a number of different mortgages. There's a, a one mortgage which is for the low income housing. There's one mortgage that's for the uh, so whoever buys this housing. when they're bidding on this property, they're looking at fifteen to twenty million dollars of deferred maintenance, fifty million dollars owed to Chaffa, right? Is that that's what's at stake? Yep. How many people are? When is this auction taking place, and how many people are bidding for it? We don't have the exact number, but it's probably around ten or fifteen, and um, it's going to be happening in the next couple of weeks, is my sense. How do we find out when it is? Oh, uh, uh, Serena Neil San Giorgio has been sort of working with. Who conducts the mortgage? I mean, the auction. The, it's Chaffa. So uh, the um, so now, how can the mayor say when she said she wants fifty five percent affordable housing? And does that mean subsidized housing? It's the rents Affordables are, are, are prescribed in a certain level. Term. So the the rents are actually prescribed. And would that be area median income, regional, city area median income? 
that's the other well that's another side of it the question is who qualifies for this right. so that there are all sorts of rules in terms of who qualifies for the housing but the issue in terms of the way this was structured is that the apartments have actual rent caps on them so so the the rents are prescribed so can the mayor the does the mayor have any leverage to say you got to keep a 55 percent of chaff is doing the auction chaff is owed the money well we think we have leverage how uh, we think we have a lot of leverage um because from the very beginning there were big tax abatements mm -hmm. and so what we did is we've been talking with the board of alders we basically said we're not going to offer a tax abatement unless you agree as part of the auction to require that anybody who buys it. So now did those tax abatements ran out what year? A year and a half ago. So there, any new buyer is going to be looking to have renewed tax abatements. Yep. And what level of tax abatements based on their new investment or at the current value based on what it will add to, or based on old values? Well, so here's the interesting thing. If you look at all the money that's owed, I mentioned it was about $50 million. There's some mm -hmm. calculations where it could be even a little bit higher than that. The actual assessment on our books in terms of what the taxes would be due if there was no abatement is still only about $45 million. Wait, that the value, the assessed value? Yeah. So how much is that in taxes? Oh, it's about a million, a million two. That's not a lot. No, but they've been paying five, 600,000. So, um, so they'd be looking. So you'd be, our leverage will be, you're talking to Chaffa about and including... Our leverage is reducing the taxes. And how would you do that? Well, we've gone to the Board of Alders. No, no, I mean, at what level? What would you, Back to the five, 600,000? Yeah, exactly. And, but that would be contingent on... Uh, and what are the Board of Alders saying? They said, great. I mean, so what we, we didn't want people to come and negotiate after the auction. We mm -hmm. wanted to make sure that whoever was in the auction understood what our terms were. And so the and main, what has Chaffa said? Well, they would have preferred that there weren't terms. They, they would have preferred that we would have negotiated with anybody, but that's understandable. And so does the Board of Alderman have to pass a new tax abatement? They would, yes. When is that being submitted? After the sale or before? After. So how do they have a guarantee from you when they buy this property that they're going to get that? Or will the sale be contingent on that passing? Well, I, I mean, I, I, everybody who has submitted an application to be part of the auction or be part of the bidding process uh, was given a piece of paper that showed all of the conditions that the city had. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and so now you said 10 to 15 bidders. One of them we're told is Yale, that Yale is looking to buy that. At least that's what everyone who owns stores in the Nice Square, that was the talk on the New Year's Eve weekend, was that the store owners in Nice Square are panicked because they think Yale's going to take over their district and boot out certain people and raise the rents and require certain hours like they do on Broadway and Chapel Street. Is that all just fiction? I have not heard that at all. That's fascinating. But that's not based on this information. That was just a rumor going around Nice Square. Really? Yeah. That is so funny. Because I thought Yale wanted hands off. I thought Yale said we put enough money into that project. See you later. Yes, I think that's right. It's so so we don't know. So you're going to stay tuned. But in the meantime, we know that the housing authority, uh, Glendower, bid, has yeah. put in a bid. Yeah. Uh, and they've done it with another uh, for-profit company out of Hamden. Um, and, uh, but I have not heard Yale at all. So that's news for me. So it me. might not be true. Yeah. So you didn't hear that. But what you are listening to is Dateline New Haven, the first of 2018, with the man who keeps us optimistic in New Haven, <laughs> Matthew Nemerson, the development administrator of the city of New Haven. So Matthew, um, a lot of great projects happened in 2017. A lot of one's coming in 2018 I want to ask you about. 
But I just want to ask you about right next at the edge of the nice square, some people considered me naming it the 10th square, is the former Coliseum site. When you came into office in 2014, the Harp administration, you used the Bell administration, you inherited a deal which had every was had a grab bag like basically a Santa stocking stu- stu- stuffer of everything we wanted to have happen with mixed use development in New Haven on that project at, at, at times a four to five hundred million dollar project by a Montreal developer Liver Learn Play. But they had, I believe, it was thirteen years in which after we sold them the property to come through with getting started. I don't want to go back into the whole story. We've gone back on this program and in our pages, the Independent, about how you had to move <laughs> the utilities to keep it going. Are, is 2018 the year you guys are going to tell the truth and just say it's dead? Um, <laughs> let me just stop beating your wife. Um, that's a funny question. Um, we have probably a dozen projects that are going forward in New Haven. Right, and I want to talk about those. And, uh, and this is that huge one that's not. hundreds and hundreds of units uh, going up along Olive Street. I think we're going to finally... Uh, projects going there between Union Avenue and, and Olive Street. That's going to transform the whole edge of Worcester Square. Um, probably four or 500 units we're going to put through Fair Street. We may not make it as a full street, but we're going to rebuild the street. So you'll, there'll be a, a housing right on, on that But you're voting the question. Are we going to tell the truth this year about Live, Work, Learn, Play? But there's no truth. Or there's a truth. truth. If you go to their own website, they say project completed 2015. There's not a shovel in the ground. There's no state money being released. It's years after this thing was supposed to be built, and there's no sense that you're even going to get to square one. No, that's not true at all, Paul. So square one... Wait, no, no, you're telling me it's not raining when there's a thunderstorm on my head. Matthew, no. you go to the old Coliseum site. There's nothing there, and nothing's happening. There's, there's no sense that there. There's parking there. Right, which is and, the, your example say, of the worst use of prime space downtown. Not at all. That's actually have the surface park. That is the best use of that then you've changed your right mind because really totally Audubon Street we have service parking and you're very exciting cited that some places that a super block as it's called that has had surface blocking for decades is now going to have a great new development on it on Audubon Square so you're saying that was taking that that's from a its bad least use. use that's that's a bad use because that's that's commercial parking that um that that's all used for the phone company. So the new Neverson document is that prime real estate downtown should be surface parking, but re, but public parking, not commercial parking. I don't. I no longer consider the Coliseum site for right now as prime space. Why is that? Um, because we have such success in the College Crown and uh, George Street corridors that um, moving the housing now to Worcester Square. Getting that sort of bridge between the railroad tracks and Worcester Square is so important. Uh, two, that huge parking lot that you've described uh, up uh, on the edge of uh, East Rock, uh, on the edge of sort of that whole area there, um, getting that sort of developed is going to bring so much vitality to Audubon Street, places that we have an investment I in guess, retail. I guess this is a tiny point here. I'm agreeing with your bigger point, Matthew. When you look at the two projects by Olive Street, when you look at Audubon Square, there's a lot of great building going on. Crown Street, there's five projects. But I guess what's bugging me is I feel like you're not being honest about one little point. It's not like f- two huge downtown blocks are supposed to be surface parking. We all know that. We've never wanted that. So, yes, you're saying so many great projects are happening right around it and bringing so much new vitality and housing and commercial activity that we're not going to be so sad if two blocks are held hostage because some guy had a 13-year agreement that you inherited they didn't have to do anything with on prime downtown space. But why are you pretending that you don't want to see prime downtown space built up and added to the tax rolls? That doesn't make any sense. No, of, course, of course we do. But remember that the, the big 
issue there, which which was very complicated. And just moving the hotel and moving it and not having to remove all the utilities. No, the yes, that was one of the issues, Paul. But but I think as your your listeners may remember that we were in this long, complicated conversation with the governor and with the state about getting the money to rebuild one of the three crossings. Because one of the things that we also above the old was this very good idea of bridging over the, yeah. the highway. And so one of the crossings is the Orange Street crossing. And there was a little nuance that, that was thrown into the mix back in 2014. And that was that the governor, understandably, said, if you want that money, that $21.5 million, I need to see proof that the hotel is ready to go. And we said, but we can't get the hotel ready to go until we have the money for the crossing because that was a very important part for all the hotel projects. And we have been talking to Hyatt about that and, and we still talk to Max all the time. Max, she was the developer from Live, Work, Learn, Don't Build, Play. Exactly. Uh, and, his, and his father, Bill. So what happened this summer was that the governor sort of said, look, I understand that we got this a little bit out of order. I'm going to give you the $21.5 million, build the Orange Street Crossing, and then we'll come back and we'll revisit the hotel. And so we have been feverishly working all fall. Not that we haven't been working on the Coliseum site. We've been working on the plans for that highway, working with the state because it's a complicated intersection to have a new road going across the highway right there, connecting to the train station, which also is part of an even bigger, more I think important project. Build the right downtown now. and all this stuff. Well, well, but just the Church Street South project, yeah. which uh, Serena Neil San Giorgio has applied for thirty million dollar grant to get choice grant yeah. to get um, affordable housing uh, in there. Remember when it gets real? Look forward to the money. Yeah. So, so there are a lot of things that are going on, and and one of the things, and and I know this is very sort of pedantic, but we are still working with the state on rebuilding, uh, building the garage at the train station. Now, when that garage at the train station goes in, um, we're going to lose all the surface parking at the train station for a period of two years. So, so it turns out that one of the things that we just can't lose at the same time, because these things got backed up, is we can't lose all the surface parking at the at the uh, train station and lose all the surface parking a block so from the train station. So, if Liverpool and Hyatt Hotel so okay, now we're ready to build, you're going to say wait two years? I might have to. Really, if you really going to say wait two years on this five-year delayed four hundred million dollar project? Well, we are working with them. Here's the here's the order of things. Sequencing is very very important in these big one hundred twenty three hundred million dollar projects. We have to get a highway crossing done, and that's going to require moving some of the lanes onto the Coliseum site because we're going to have to sort of. Because to, you say you're going to go ahead with the $21.5 million yeah. extension of Orange Plus, Street. we've got $12 million into in the project as well. So we're going to be rebuilding that entire Is that going to happen this year in 2018? It's going to start this fall, this spring. This and spring we're going to start doing it? Yes. Oh, okay. So that's going to be very exciting. So the Coliseum project is going to begin. And phase one of that... No, it's not. The Orange Street extension is going to begin. But that's part of the Coliseum But rebuilding project. that lot, you're telling me, is now, even under the best scenario, going to be another two years before we build anything on those blocks. You're saying that's fine because we're building so much else around it. Exactly. Okay. Now, we have been talking to Max, and Max has a deal with Hyatt 
And we are still very interested in having a major Hyatt hotel in town. And Max has got the uh, relationship with Hyatt right now. And so he is coming back to us uh, in the next, I don't know, a couple weeks, month, or whatever, with what his needs are. He has always said that there's got to be a gap that any hotel project that's going into a, you know, a medium-sized city is going to need some subsidy. Uh, and he's going to tell us what that is. But, you know, Paul, I, I just have to keep coming back to it. We have so many great projects going forward that the Spinnaker projects alone uh, between... Actually, I want to get to that. Let's remind people that you listen our, our to Dateline New Haven and WNHHFM, your home for community radio, also uh, newhavenindependent.org. We're talking to Matthew Nemerson, the Economic Development Administrator of the City New Haven, about all the projects he has in the work in 2018 as New Haven continues building up. So let's talk about Spinnaker. Spinnaker's a company in, is it Fairfield or Norwalk? Norwalk. And they've gone great guns. They really want to build New Haven. They're an example of a company that, unlike this hotel builder, doesn't want any subsidies. They just want to build a New Haven, which shows how our market has changed. So they have three projects on the table at different stages. So first they wanted to be one of two builders on um, on Chapel Street between Olive and Union, which yep. is sort of a, a fallow area that's between downtown and um, Worcester Square that was going to have a lot of people living who could take trains or a train station by a dog park. And we had two projects ready to go, Pfizer News of Housing, and there was another landlord who wasn't keeping up his property across the street of an apartment building who's tied you up with lawsuits for three years, I think. And you keep getting thrown out, but it takes a long time because they don't want to have to compete with this new builder. And now, meanwhile, one of the other builders has sold his interest in his project to a different developer in recent weeks. What's happening with that? So um, Noel Petra, who was a local contractor and developer, uh, has uh, sold his, um, his project. And we've, uh, we're very excited. We think that that project is going to start this spring. It's already permitted. Is it still being tied up in the lawsuit from the people across the way? He is not tied up in the lawsuit. Because they won theirs and that's all done. Well, they were, and, right. They were, they won and, and there was no, there was no standing for PMC to come back after. PMC is the landlord across the street that's been, uh, that's been, that's a Strauss but PMC building. is still um, suing to stop the zoning change, I believe, for that would allow Spinnaker to build the second project at the old Comcast building. Exactly. Um, and they, they have found um, some issues about uh, stormwater retention that they're not happy with. And, um, and they've brought the, the suits under a number of sort of... Uh, what's the standing on that? I mean, so what's the status on that? The judges, we're waiting for the judges' uh, next ruling, and um, we hope to have some resolution of that in a couple months. So do you think you do believe that Spinnaker is going to be able to build that this year? I do. Okay. Yeah. And, and even, um, even if there's yet another sort of delay on, on one side of it, they definitely can build out on the, on the north side of uh, Chapel Street. So Spinnaker can do half its project. And Pe- who bought it from Petra? Um, I actually don't remember. Okay, I but they, you, they, they're planning to get started when? Uh, David Adam Realty. Okay. Um, they're going to start, I think, this spring. Uh, I've got every indication they're going to start this spring. And uh, So Spinnaker is a company now. They had two other ideas. Their second idea was on what was called a superblock, which you taught me something I didn't know before. The superblocks are created by uh, by um, lumping together little streets into one bigger street that people could build on as a package in the 50s and 60s in urban renewal. And one of those is where the New Haven Register used to be, on Audubon Street by uh, Grove and State and um, Orange. And that's been surface parking, commercial parking, and that you did put together a deal for Spinnaker to get that land 
and build hundreds of apartments and stores and offices. Five hundred and fifty apartments and retail and swimming pools, and it's going to be sort of like the Corsair. And that got that got passed so fast that the kind of people usually argue about stuff in New Haven did not really argue about that one, except for a few little parts about whether anyone should be able to drive anywhere ever. But otherwise, you got that passed, and they're actually ready to start building that one, right? Yes, absolutely. When's that happening? Um, that will also start as soon as it. The defrost, the frost. Uh, well, it's pretty. Is, is it's over. not that nippy out right now. They can get started. No, it's pretty yeah. cold. Oh yeah, it's kind of cold. And then Spinnaker's a third place because they bought the old Webster Bank building. That's on they, Elm Street between 195 did. Church, which is undergoing a renovation itself, the big tower, the old bank tower, and now you got um, you got this vacant big building. It's really ugly as sin, in my opinion. The Webster Bank building. This isn't Webster Bank anymore. They went to a little office by Crown Street. Yeah, some people love that building. Really? It's, Why? It's uh, it Well, inside, it's beautiful. Well, it's, even the outside is a little Art deco -y. Okay, whatever, I'm not it. Yeah. And then there's a vacant lot next to it, which I guess you like those because now you're for surface lots. But uh, No, 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 they're going to they're gonna move their new building to the corner and probably build a parking garage on the inside. On the inside, okay. Yeah. So now what's the status of that plan? And what do they want to build on the build on the corner? They're looking at a hotel. A hotel? Yeah. Like a boutique hotel? Is that No, the it would be sort of a brand, a flag of some sort, Hilton, a Hyatt or something. How big? About 120 rooms. So are they still going to want the Hyatt on the? Are we that under hotel? Does they say in the industry? Yes, we are under hotel by probably five or six hundred rooms. Wow, because they're doing some across the Union's Trust, a few rooms at a kind of boutiquey thing. They're going to be that's so, right. So so the uh, rooms across Spinnaker the wants to build a hotel at the corner of Elm and Orange. Yep. And what's the status of that project? Uh, they filed for a demolition permit. Um, I believe that they will be. Uh, asked for a 90-day stay just because of the historic nature of the building. I hate the idea of that when something's ugly, if it's ugly in its day, now that it becomes historic because it was always ugly, now all of a sudden we got to protect it. Oh, you sound like a real curmudgeon. Come on. <laughs> uh, that, that, I've never understood that part of historic preservation, that we want to preserve everything about where things used to be can never change and evolve. And that if something was ugly in its day, like a lot of the building from, uh, no, no, these are, there, there's a difference between a preservation movement where you literally can't tear down buildings. And that of course goes all the way back to Penn station and tearing down, you know, priceless buildings in New York. Right. Um, some buildings in New Haven, we simply put a 90 day stay on to take pictures, to, to go in and, Check around to make sure there isn't. Okay, so they want to build. Famous, a, they want to build how big a hotel? Stuff in the there? attics and things. How many room hotel? About 120. That's right. So now their status is they filed for demolition of the old Webster Bank mm -hmm. building. They want to put a garage there. Is it going to front the street? The garage? No, we, we would never allow. That. What will front the street? A hotel. Oh, the hotel will go the whole way halfway up the block. It'll go from the corner. Uh, it's the corner there. So it's going to be twice the frontage of what you have now with Webster Bank. Well, Webster, right, just has that one frontage on yeah. Elm Street. There's really, there's nothing on Orange Street. And how many how many? I haven't cars actually inside? seen the plan yet. So my, my assumption is it'll be right on the corner of Orange and Elm, uh, right? So it'll be right there. And then there'll, there'll be a garage or something that winds its way in the back. Interesting. Sort of connects Do they need any zoning relief or any other kind of? I don't think of, so. So they'll, they need any, so all that will be is a site plan review, nothing else? They could do this as of right? Probably. This is so interesting. All this, so that must be exciting. You know, we talked earlier in the program about the pressures you have to make sure there's affordable housing in these projects. And any project, even under the best circumstances, has unforeseen delays and problems you have to deal with, like how to move utilities. But this must be an interesting position you're in after having advocated for development in the private and public sector since the 1980s, Matthew, in a variety of jobs. You're now in this position where people like Spinnaker want to spend hundreds of millions of dollars without even asking you to give them any zoning breaks, let alone tax breaks. That's an interesting position to be in. 
So I think we have to put it in the context of the whole New York metro area. And what's happening is the pricing is just so out of control in Manhattan and Brooklyn. That's what ha what's happening is that there is a sort of a halo effect that's going all the way up through Yonkers and uh, into White Plains and New Rochelle. And it's beginning to, to, uh, to hit us as well. And so one of the things that probably advantages us right now is the fact that Bridgeport has not really turned the corner yet and is not developing as sort of the next place in line for the metro New York area. And, and the reality is that, that, that we are getting the benefit of that. Plus, if you look at the jobs and if you look at the population uh, of the metro New York area, the fact that we have a university and a major hospital here just makes us more advantaged. So the fact that we have a gap between Stamford and uh, ourselves where there isn't a lot of development, a lot of people aren't moving there, um, and the fact that we have this world-class university means that New Haven, even though it's 72 miles from New York, we're, we're behaving more like we're 50 or, or, or 45 miles. And, and that's really what's happening. You're seeing the rents go up. You're seeing a lot more people commuting in the morning uh, into Stamford, into New York. And so around the world, there, there are these, and there was a big article in the Times about this uh, a week and a half ago. Um, there are these just huge cities now that are beginning to sort of almost like black holes to suck in all sorts of energy, all sorts of people, all sorts of investment. And they're creating areas around them where rents are going up and where investment is going up. And so what's happening is, and you've seen it in some of the just enormous prices that are being paid for some of our finished projects, um, that money is looking to buy market rate rental projects around the world. And New Haven is now seen as a safe place to invest. All right. And then um, another neighborhood I want to turn attention to for 2018, the Dixville neighborhood. Mm -hmm. I'm getting sense there's going to be a lot of change there this year, too, or at least starting to happen. Um, a couple of major projects, you know, we've been hearing about in piecemeal. Munster Street is technically in New Hollow, but it's like across the street. It's the Dixwell border where in the old Science Park land there facing Dixwell. Yep. There's a project for 385 market rate apartments. Or I guess 10% of them are going to be affordable or something. And then, um, then you have next to it the new workforce housing developed by um, Juan Salas Romer at the Old Cardinals. You're talking there's a vacant uh, plot of land. Then on the other side on Henry Street, where you're thinking of doing a new um, senior tower public housing. Right, housing there's been authority. a competition. LCI, Serena had a competition for that. And so she's awarded that to, uh, to Beacon to do a project. As there. an extensive sort of Monterey. Um, because Beacon is the landlord for Monterey Development, the old Elm Haven, which touches that land. It abuts that land. Yeah, I mean, it's really more of a moving the people from the Edith Bristol Johnson Street Johnson Towers, which they also right, run. Exactly. But that's going to remain. Aren't they going to fix that up? And that's going to remain senior housing as well. I, I don't know exactly how that's going to end up operating. That actually is not owned by Beacon. That's actually owned by uh, the housing authority. And then Beacon has a management contract? Exactly. And they got that management contract as part of being there at Monterey. So what's the housing authority looking to do with that property? Well, we don't know. I mean, that, that's, that's Could that be part of Yale's extension into Dixwell? I would think not. I mean, I would think that this would be an opportunity. But also in Dixwell, you're also looking at Dixwell Plaza. Oh, first of all, you have the new arts center, the old Bicknell, or is it Bricknell, um, glass factory, which for a while was an underground Chinese import stolen property beats that got busted uh, yes. 
factory, but that's all closed down. That's Titus Gafour. Now yeah. Titus, the exciting. local artist, has gotten yep. a lot, gotten millions of dollars of investment to make a sort of what they have in Westville with some of those uh, shared artist spaces, I believe, yep. and a few apartments. And also classes and training and really trying to... Is that going to get defined. built this year? Oh, yeah. Wow. And then Dixville Plaza, you have the old supermarket that's empty and you have some kind of media thing going in there, right? Some TV thing? Um, the Risk Foundation is working with... Uh, uh, Con uh, Corp, which is a new for-profit uh, development arm of uh, Eric Clements's ConCat, um, so they're they're working to sort of create some sort of uh, uh, a presence there. We've talked to them a couple of times, and they're looking to buying some of those. And eventually, uh, I think both Serena and uh, the Risk Foundation are interested in redeveloping Dixville Plaza. So that's uh, which is owned as a cooperative, right? Uh, it is a condo, Con and then one of its big tenants, uh, the Stetson Library, will be, and as well as at the corner of an office part of the complex, the Cornell Scott Hill Health Center. They'll be moving. They'll be moving the across street. street to the Q House. Is, is that going to happen for sure? Because that's the other big change in Dixwell. Oh yeah, and and will that be a quintus construction start on that? I, as soon as it warms up. Well, so so much is going on. Well, that's right, and the two hundred one Munson is a is a huge project. Um, and as 385 is, apartments, you know, and Ashman and Canal, that site there is, it's a little bit smaller, but it's still a hundred units or so. Now in progress, some projects got started this year at the end of 2017. Randy Salvatore, the builder has that project in the Hill, between like Street. Washington Avenue, Gold Street, that yep. area, which was really decimated by urban renewal, two vacant schools, all that, one of them being preserved and fixed up, one being knocked down, the land built on, um, that got started. Yes. So that's going to be going this year. Church uh, Street South, we talked about, is that empty yet? I think we're down to about five families. Wow. Okay. So, so that'll be empty when? Um, any week now. And does that come down immediately? Uh, it'll come down. Yes. The building, I mean, the demolition permit is already. But the truth is, you're going for $30 million neighbor uh, choice grant from the Federal Department of Housing and Urban Development to rebuild not just that property, but the Robert T. Wolf to renovate the uh, elderly and disabled tower that go across from you and station abutting the property. But you didn't get that grant the first time around. It's a highly competitive grant. You guys did well getting competitive grants like the Connect Index Innovation Grant. You didn't get that one. What happens if you don't get this one? Which one didn't we get? The the $30 million choice grant the first oh, time right, around for it. We didn't get that. So if you don't get it again, what's plan B? Are we just going to let the land sit there across from the train no, station? No, 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 no. That's... Well, you love parking now, so make it a whole big surface no, parking lot. I don't love parking oh, okay. now. Uh, I... Uh... You know, Serena has said that there are Plan B and Plan C. I mean, we're not talking about them yet because we're we're very fixated. Well, the on, land is actually owned by a, a Massachusetts developer, grand. Northland Development. Are they yes. all in? And are you all Absolutely. in with them? Absolutely. So, what, if they don't get that money, they just build a big market rate thing? Or you think it, no? No, I, I don't think there's any way that they would not build uh, the the whole the whole concept there, going back all the way to the first time Northland came in with the plan, which was two thousand and 10, 2011, uh, it's always revolved around getting to the 30% uh, and the idea is that or getting to a replacement level. Right, so 301 apartments are there yeah. now. Knock it down, build 900 apartments, have one-third of them for the people who want to come back or other families. Exactly, who are so a lot more density, bigger buildings, higher buildings. <laughs> Mixed use, mantra um, of our age. With a park sort of right but across from the What is affordable going to Are you still going to have four and five... Four three, four, five family bedroom apartments? Because those are the ones that North Jersey South had that so few other places have. Will the replacement housing have family apartments like that? You know, I think that's what's being negotiated right now with Serena and Northland. Uh, it is very hard to build four and five bedroom apartments right now, 
let's also remember that those apartment those those apartments were very very small, uh, and often were didn't have the adequate as we know ventilation. They had the bathrooms in the middle. I mean, th- those were built to a design in the uh, in the nineteen sixties that I don't think we would we would put people into right now in terms of tiny little bedrooms, often without proper ventilation windows and things like that. Um, it's going to be a much more modern design. It's going to be higher. It's going to have a lot more windows. Um, so this is the real challenge that we have really in all of these affordable housing uh, projects, which is you get your three bedrooms, very, very few four and five bedrooms are, are being built. Um, and, and all sorts of other issues that happen there. A, a lot of those units actually had multiple families living there. And you had other, I mean, so there were a lot of complications there. And then um, we, we, Serena's on top of that. Serena, that's Neil Durant, San Yeah, she's the head of LCI. Livable City Initiative, which is your neighborhood's development agency. Yeah. But Matthew, we talked about hotels. There are other hotels in the works too. So the Duncan Hotel is being rebuilt by a, a Chicago developer. Is that When's the work going to start on that? Um, again, everything's going to happen in the spring. Do you think it'll open this year? No. No, some of the year after. Yeah, that's a big renovation. And then our there's ninety. Are, there are ninety units there, and they're going to downsize to about seventy. But every single inch of that building is going to be rebuilt. And then the um the you know, that amazing block of Crown High, uh, College George, where, where I think it's five separate development projects going on at once. Totally rebuilt there. I mean, if you go back from the inside, six of the block years to ago, it was, you had as this Salvation Army, Salvation with that Army. old church, and that another big parking lot there and you had a residential facility for alcoholics and you had um a, a big building where a man's a dismembered torso was found right before this all <laughs> happened i mean it was but on the corner was it was a um you it was a rental car agency spot that now which had that kind of surface parking you like so much but now randy salvatore <laughs> is building a boutique hotel on that corner of high and george and that started right oh absolutely there's a big absolutely do the, you think uh, that might foundation. open in 2018 um, will it be finished in a year? I don't think so, but I think it'll be finished probably. They, they have the foundation underway. Um, no, these things all usually take about 18 months. I mean, that might take 14 or 15 months. He's a very fast builder. Well, Matthew uh, Neverson, it's been great just to get a, a, a little look at all the great things you got in the works this year. And it's going to be a fun, fun year. You got a lot of projects to shepherd through as the economic development administrator of the city of New Haven. So I want to talk about transit real quick because we're we're running out of time. Um, Anything going to happen with Tweed? Now you got more jet service for the cold weather months, right? Not the warm weather months. Increased flights to Philly. Well, we have the bigger planes. Yeah, but they don't have the CRJ 200, right? Are they only part of the year they can fly? Well, you never know more than about six months ahead of time what the schedule is. And oftentimes only three or four months. Um, Look, we, the first couple months uh, of the Jets, we've been selling out a lot more seats. We, we definitely had some issues in terms of uh, the flights, uh, some flights not being completed. Um, there's actually a shortage right what now of pilots. Um, well, just, you know, there was some snow. We had some. So people got stranded on either end, Philly or New Haven? We've had some cancellations. I mean, that happens all the time. Um, but the bigger planes um, require, still require a good dry runway. Uh, you know, when you get into the weight issues, when you get into uh, stronger winds, um, you know, one of the challenges that that the airlines are having right now is as they've gone uh, to these jets, it, there's a shortage of flight of uh, pilots right now with real jet experience. And so um, it is not uncommon, this is all around the country, for some of these younger pilots to uh, to 
not land and to sort of, you know, find larger airports. Uh, Why is that? Well, just because it's, it's hard. You're, 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 you're flying a, a real jet plane yeah, uh, into a smaller airport. And uh, we're, so we're hearing this from everywhere. Um, but that's not the real issue here. The real issue here is we've got now these 50-seat 50 fl- uh, planes, and we need to fill up the, the seats. And so far, the first couple of months have been good. But, but we need to sort of remind everybody who's listening to you that if you had any doubts about riding in a propeller plane, if your company didn't like putting you on a propeller plane, if you just sort of didn't like riding on these little planes, these are real jets. And these are the kind of jets that you could fly from a major airport like LaGuardia, uh, or Bradley to any place in the country. Uh, wow. The CRJ 200s are real planes. And then finally, Matthew, a big change this year is going to be there's more train service to Hartford and Springfield. So we're going to go from six trains to Hartford a day to 17. Mm-hmm. 12 of them are going to continue to Springfield. It's going to be $8 one way to Hartford. The one Everyone seems to be quite happy about this in New Haven. The one tiny gripe I heard is that the last one should go later than 1045 coming back from Hartford if they want to go to concerts that you can't get back that early. But otherwise, what impact do you see that having on your efforts to make New Haven a busier place, a denser place? Well, so we always, when people ask, who's going to live in all these apartments? Well, we say people are going to use New Haven as their base to commute out to other jobs. They're going to go to Stanford, they're going to go to Hartford. We expect to see a lot of people working in Hartford, living in New Haven. And so that whole corridor that we were talking about earlier. Is that because they're in a marriage or a relationship where somebody else works in New Haven or Stanford? Or is it just because New Haven's so much more fun than Hartford? I think it's both. I think we'd like to think it's the latter. But I think the truth is that it is, uh, people have to commute more to get the kind of wages that they want and the kind of uh, the kind of opportunities that they want. So... Even in a dense place like uh, southern New England, you often have to commute 20 or 30 or 40 miles to get the kind of job you want. So it stands to reason that if you have a couple and you have two people who are looking for uh, you know, really exciting and interesting jobs, that you want to be in a place where you can commute, maybe from a central point, go 40 miles to the west and 40 miles to the north. So I think that's sort of the, the nature of what's happening in the New York metro and in the Boston metro. People are just commuting more. So New Haven is in a very good geographical location for that. And I think, as you said, it's also a fun place to be. It is. I think it's, it's the best place to be. Than any other Let's place hope in the that, state. that when we come back this year later, it's going to be a more fun place to be. Absolutely. Well, I'm glad that you're in this place, Matthew Neverson. Thank you, Paul. Happy New Year, Matthew. Thanks for coming on Dateline New Haven. Thanks, everyone, for joining us on the first edition of Dateline New Haven for 2018. Thanks to our guest, City Economic Development Administrator Matthew Nemerson. A special thanks to Yellow Haven Hospital for providing support for today's program. We're going to take it out with the Afro-Semitic experience performing I Wish I Knew How It'd Feel to Be Free from the group CD, A Plea for Peace. Now we know what it's like to be free. We just got to remember to book our flight. Book your flight with us all day and all night long here at WNHH, New Haven's home for community radio. (laughs) 